take me out to the ball game might come a little later again this year. What does Major League umpire Ted Barrett have to say about that? Welcome back to yet another episode of the Terry Summers Podcast. I must be transparent. I am not the biggest sports fan in general, but some of my fondest memories regarding professional sports was going with my family to Dodger Stadium in Southern California and having an afternoon or an evening um, at the ball game. And uh, my dad and brother, of course, were and are huge sports people. So I'm super familiar with it. And it does kind of give me that exciting kind of feeling to hear about professional sports. And I get kind of wound with them as well. Like my brother is my dad reincarnate. He paces the floor during sports games that are tight or exciting for him and just walks back and front and talks to the television and what what have you. So that all is very exciting to me. It's like in my blood, but me per se, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm not that not that hip on it, but um, as the youngsters say, however, it is a thrill when you uh, can have a personal conversation with someone notable in the sports arena and not only a personal conversation, but a friendship with. And I have again with me today, this is Terry and Ted take two, um, Ted Barrett. And let me just read a little bit of what Wikipedia says about him. He is an American umpire in Major League Baseball. He joined the American League staff in 1994 and has worked throughout both major leagues since the year 2000. He has worked in 23 playoff series, including five World Series. And he holds some records, y'all. He's the only MLB umpire to have worked for three perfect games. Uh, He worked home plate for the longest World Series game in modern history, October 26 and 27, Game 3, 2018. So he's really quite, you know, somebody in the if you're a sports person if you're a baseball person um but beyond that he's just really a cool cool dude and has a huge heart and just a great presence about him so i have him here today and without further ado let's visit with ted ted barrett yes i I feel like i need to be in a crowd cheering for you but um, you were visiting with us. We just tried to figure out. It was about not quite two years. We'll say two and three quarter. I mean, one and three quarter. Um, yeah. But um, I, you've been on my heart and my mind, and I reached out to you. And then it dawned on me that I seem to reach out to you when um, you're waiting to go to work. So there's something going on when you're uh, in baseball. And what is it right now, if, the, if my listeners don't know? Yeah, we've got a little labor dispute going on. So the season's in limbo. Yeah, last time it was the COVID. And uh, we were just getting ready to salvage the season and get started. And so now we're just playing a waiting game again. Uh, so I'm glad I have a few minutes to sit down and spend with you. It's always good to see you. Always good to talk to you. It blesses me. Thank you so much. And same here. And 
Um, I am, you know, full of questions and I, I literally could sit with you for hours and I'm trying to decipher what I want to ask you. And then something in my heart just says, oh, just converse with him because that's where the money is. No pun intended with you. I mean, it's just, you're just so, there's not a lot of hard work in getting a conversation with Ted Barrett, but, uh, just to touch on baseball a little bit, um, the, the crux of this, um, this uh, dispute is something between the players and the management. Is that what I understand? Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the, uh, the major league players uh, have their major league players union um, and then major league baseball, which is the, the 30 owners. Um, they have a contract that comes up every five years, a collective bargaining agreement. Last year it expired and uh, they need to get another one together this year. Uh, to get the season going and it's a negotiation process um, we have our uh, labor we have our agreement with the major league umpires union with the same group of people uh, and that's every five years and the last contract we had which was just before covid um, i got to be a part of that process and so it's very interesting just because you get together in a room and you sit down with lawyers and representatives and you hash it out um, lots of issues uh, the, with us, not just money and salary and compensation, but things like, um, you know, conditions, travel, um, you know, uh, uh, how much we work, games, uh, everything that goes on to our contracts. So with the players, it's they have a lot of licensing and, um, you know, uh, the, the WBC tournament, uh, overseas play, uh, playoffs, expansion rules changes. So, you know, oh, wow. there's just, it's just a huge thing that they have to, to get through and it takes time. Yeah. That as I'm hearing you with the list, I can imagine. Um, I think that those of us who don't know the ins and outs, you know, we wonder, Oh, what is it, what is this? What does it really boil down to? But there, it sounds like there are a lot of nuances to what it is they're coming to the table for. Is it an intimidating process? I can't imagine my friend Ted being intimidated by much, but <laughs> it, is it, it, what does that feel like to sit down? I mean, because, because you're like on behalf of, you know what I mean? Right. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, with us, it's very, uh, our group is a lot more varied because we have people that are in their early twenties all the way up to, you know, we have guys in their sixties. So there are different phases of life. One guy's his priority is retirement. Another guy, he wants uh, more vacation so he can spend time with his family and maybe less money. And so rep, uh, there's 76 of us. We're representing the whole group. And um, so, yeah, it's not just, you're not in it for yourself or your group. You're in it for everybody. And it is intimidating because, Hey, I'm, I'm my undergrad was PE, and then I've got a little bit of theology and, uh, you know, um, uh, schooling, but I have zero in law, and it's labor law, and these people are experts that you're sitting down with, and so we have to get a labor law expert, and so there's a lot of back and forth on, you know, what you can discuss, when you can discuss it, and it, it can be intimidating just because it's something we don't know, um, because look, you know, we're, we're umpires, we run ball games, um, and that's our expertise. Uh, labor law is not, but it was, it was an incredible experience for me learning uh, the process and it's business, right? Um, right. The fans are frustrated because they want baseball and they think it's just a bunch of millionaires haggling over a few dollars. And uh, it's a little more complex than that. Yeah. Um, are you um, hopeful that you, I mean, just your sort of feeling about it, that this will 
come to, come to an agreement in some kind of reasonable time? Yeah, it'll come together. It'll come together soon. And the other thing I learned about negotiations is, you know, it's day to day. One day you'll have a bad day at the negotiating table and then that night something will break through. So I literally think, you know, we could be talking and at any moment uh, they'll say, hey, we came to an agreement. Let's get to Arizona and Florida and start doing spring training. So they could literally happen any minute. So um, I had asked you when we first um, uh, greeted each other this morning, you would be in spring training right now. Yeah, February 26th uh, was my first scheduled game. And obviously that came uh, that that came and passed. And so uh, it usually starts the end of February. We go through the end of March and then we go on the road and open up uh, end of March, beginning of April with the season. Um, you know, there's a there's a rhythm and flow to my life after doing this for so many years. And you know, this, is a, this is a disruption because usually I'd be out on a ball field working. Um, but it's funny how COVID has kind of prepared us for for change and uh, being flexible and, you know, fourth down, let's punt. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's the way I feel now. I'm like, okay, we're just rolling along. God's in control. Um, I get to spend a little extra time with my grandkids. And uh, so it's all good. Now you say grandkids and I, I don't have grandchildren. I don't have any children, but I look at you and I think grandkids. Okay. Um, But you, I remember when we were visiting last on the podcast um, that you were soon to meet a new grandchild that you have now met. And you said he had a birthday. He turned one in September. Is that super cool? That's super cool. Yeah. He's our youngest one. We've got six. Oh, uh, Ted, whatever. Yes. I'm sure you told me that, but wow. Yeah. Five, five boys and one little uh, princess girl. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's just, it's the joy of my life being a grand. It's the greatest thing ever. Um, and uh, watching my wife, too, with our grandbabies is really I a blessing. Was, I was yeah. just going to ask. And how is your bride? She's doing wonderful. Uh, yeah, she's um, uh, she loves being a grandma. Um, you know, there's days when uh, I think she's uh, ready to pass out after being with the grandkids all day. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, she loves it. And it's uh, but it, it makes us remember um, how much work it was when the kids were little. Yeah. Uh, but now we get to sit back and, and really enjoy them. Yeah. And that old, the old saying that's gone around for decades is I get to love on them and then I get to pass them back off to mom and dad. Yeah. And it's so true. And I, I don't think I've changed a diaper in quite a while. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't, with the new baby, I don't think I have. So I think I need to, uh, I just convicted myself there. I think I need to pull my weight a little bit more as a grandpa. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, we are a lot alike. <laughs> uh, I can, I, I, back in the day, um, and not that I don't need any counseling now, but back in the day after, you know, going through some rough stuff, I had some counseling and I, I remember my counseling saying, counselor saying, um, you think so much, you basically counsel yourself. Um, he just barely <laughs> had to like, you know, like a, a a Queensland healer. I have a dog that's a Queensland healer who's a cattle dog that just had to barely tap on my sides to get me to go where I needed to go in the counseling session. But anyway, I don't know. I digress. <laughs> um, so um, it, I, another thing I thought about in the middle of the night when I wasn't sleeping um, is do you have, and I don't think I asked you this last time, do you, and maybe you don't want to answer honestly, do you love baseball? You know, it's a, it's a job. Um, 
I loved it growing up. I loved it playing. Um, and then it becomes a job. Um, becomes an industry. Uh, I think, and don't get me wrong, I'm so grateful. It's a great job. Um, it's, uh, I'm, I'm so thankful for it. Uh, provided great things for me and my family. And um, so I don't want anybody to mishear me, but yeah, I, I don't sit down and watch a baseball game when I'm off. Uh, unless maybe, <laughs> maybe it's one of my friends working or a young guy coming up and I want to, yeah. you know, maybe give him some encouragement or constructive criticism, but yeah, I'm not watching a ball game uh, as I, as I go throughout my day off or anything like that. So um, is there another, it, go ahead. No, well, you're probably going to ask, is there another sport I like? Yeah. Um, yes. It's interesting being an official it kind of ruins it for you. You know, I always like the NBA, but I go to a game, I end up watching the referees and I go to a hockey game and I'm watching the referees, how they move. And I've become friends with the NBA officials and NHL officials. And uh, so it's really cool. And I, I'm probably like the downer to uh, watch a game with because, you know, you a fan, he's screaming at the TV and yelling at the ref and I'm like, Hey, come on. He got it right. Leave him alone. And they're you know, okay. Well, let's not invite Ted to the next Super Bowl party because he's no fun. <laughs> oh man. I love it. And I, and uh, it kind of reminds me, I'm a little bit like that with going to a movie, you know, yeah. like um, I, I, um, I know what is going on beyond what we get to see. I can imagine the boom coming over the boom mics and the people that are sitting in the room and just off of this side of the edited screen is, you know, a group of people that are making sure that everything's looks like it did in the last take. I, you know what I mean? That's where my mind yeah. is. And it's kind of, now I don't speak those things necessarily in a, in a movie theater because they'd probably throw me out. Well, they would throw me out for a number of reasons. I've had well, people... Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. no. Go ahead. It's so funny because, uh, you know, I have friends that, um, you know, you're watching a baseball movie. Maybe it's a kid's playing baseball. And I'll be like, no, the umpire wouldn't stand there. He wouldn't wear his hat like that. It's like, and, you know, people are like, okay, can you just not worry about it? Nobody cares. <laughs> it's like uh, my oldest brother was a big car guy. Um, and I remember watching a movie and it's a period piece. You know, it's like 1969. He's like, that's a 71 El Camino. That's, that would not be there. It's like, Nobody knows and nobody cares. So be quiet. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm doing, so cool. I'm doing that during baseball movies and you're doing that during. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So kind of, I, I, I guess I sort of get you on that, but I, um, I was also thinking, and I do deep dives, you know, I'm a, a, I am a, a thinker, but I was thinking about how I have such a hard time making decisions and you're making decisions all the time and with confidence and uh, quickly. And it kind of like struck me as sort of a parallel, um, it, like it could be like, you could be a motivational speaker just on that in and of itself, like what goes into making a decision. But I know there's skill in such too, but could you just touch base? Uh, did you catch that? Oh, I said touch base. I didn't <laughs> even try. Um, could you touch base? Um, on that cornerstone of what it is that you do because it feels like something that would be full of pressure to someone like me that always evaluates you don't have time to do that you don't have that that's not what that's about yeah you know and, and uh well, a mentor of mine used to say that pressure is somebody making you do something faster than you want to do it uh and so you know it's funny when a pitch comes in you've got less than a second from the time that it leaves the pitcher's hand to uh, the catcher's glove, it's something Ooh. like 0 0.83 or something. I, I made that number up, but it's less than a, less than a second. Um, 
And so I always talk about, you know, how hard it is to hit a major league uh, pitch as pitch traveling hundred miles an hour plus, and they have to make their mind up far be- before uh, I do, because I have the luxury of sitting back, watching the ball come into the glove um, and then taking all the external cues that I get and then making my decision, uh, which, you know, two or three seconds seems like a lifetime uh, when you're back there, but it, it is really almost instantaneous. And then for plays on the bases, you know, the throw comes in, play at first base, say, did the batter runner beat it to throw to first base? I'm looking at the base. I'm looking at the first baseman's mitt. I'm listening to the sound of the glove. I'm listening to the foot touch the base. And I'm taking all these cues in, and then I'm making the call based on all of these things. And it doesn't seem like pressure, uh, but it's also, it's a skill that's developed over time and repetition. You know, it's like the Malcolm Gladwell talks about the 10,000 hours and so that's why as major league umpires, we spend years in the minor leagues, average 10 to 12 years uh, before you get to the major league level. And so all those skills are practiced and honed. And the great thing about umpiring too, it's like um, you get instant feedback when you're, when you make a mistake, you know, people start screaming and I mean, they scream when you're right too, but uh, you know, they'll yell and scream when you're wrong. We always joke. It's kind of like the, you got the buzzer on you, right? So you, you call a bitch and, and people start screaming. It's like someone hits you with the zapper. <laughs> instantaneous like okay I got to figure out now I was wrong now I got to figure out how to get it right so lots of training video training um, reviews uh, just trying to hone our craft and do the best we can so so there's so much in you at this stage in your career that is um, well I mean instinct too but I mean like listening and I remember you telling me that and I was like wow that's an art that you you're listening for the sound in the glove and the touch on the base and you know I mean all of that together makes the full piece of the pie to the decision that you're making can you do you are you a a a rapid or a a clean decision maker in in your life yeah it's funny sometimes it doesn't always translate uh because, you know, I, you know, as someone that reads the Bible and follows uh, what it says, you know, it, it, to paraphrase, it's uh, a wise man looks at all angles before making a decision. And so, you know, when I'm faced, especially with a big decision, I'm going in prayer, I'm going in counsel to some friends, some people I talk to. Um, and then, you know, I kind of take my time. I mean, I want to make the right decision. Um, I, I hate it when someone goes, hey, I need an answer now. It's like, well, let me think about this. Let me pray about it. Let me um, you know, talk to some people about it, especially a huge decision. Uh, I've learned in my life to do that, slow down, slow the process down. Because a lot of the bad decisions I've made in my life were without uh, thinking about it, just doing it. So um, wow, I feel like, I I'm, I, yeah, and I feel like on the field, we do that. We take our time and we take into account all these things, even though it's like a two or three second thing, it's still compared to the hitter who almost has to start swinging before the pitch is released. True. Um, yeah, they're, they're, blink of an eye fast and we get to take a little more time on that that's so interesting because that wouldn't be my understanding looking at y'all you know what I mean like I interpret it as pressure but hearing you break it down that way um but that's why you're on this podcast because you are just something else and what you bring to the table in conversation what do you um do you have favorite parts of what you do and then some that aren't so yeah um you want to share any of them or not sure yeah (laughs) starting with the negative uh you know travel 
um, airports, uh, lines. I guess I'm getting older and grumpier and I need to work on my patience. You know, it's, um, uh, you know, so a, the typical day, uh, if we have a Sunday getaway day, the game's over, we're running for the airport. And, you know, uh, I'm a little bit older, not like you, you were younger, but the, in the older days, we used to run for flights and, you know, there was 17 options uh, to go from Chicago to, you know, uh, Tampa Bay. But now it's like, we have to run for this flight. If we don't make it, we're gonna have to check back into the hotel and stay another night. It's pressure packed, it's running, it's going, um, you know, and now the flight's delayed and, uh, you know, the plane's packed. And um, so, you know, anybody who travels for a living or regular, on a regular basis knows uh, that's not the fun part. Um, right. You know, traffic every day, going to work uh, like everybody else has. Uh, and, you know, weird sleep hours as I get older, crisscrossing time zones, have a night game. Uh, you know, you don't get off the field till midnight and you're not getting to sleep till 2 a.m. And then you've got a day game. You got to turn around and be at the park at 10. Um, so, you know, there. when I was younger, the things didn't bother me so much, like, uh, you know, a, a hotel bed with a bad pillow. I mean, I used to hear the old timers talk about it. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It's like when you're young, you just hit the pillow and you're it could sleep on the floor, right? But now it's like, I hope the hotel has a good bed. Uh, I'm like an old man. Uh, but now some of the positive parts, it's cool to be out there on the field. And some of the, if I look back, reflect on some of the things I've been a part of, it's it's history, it's baseball history, it's American history. Um, but even not to overly uh, romanticize things, but like on a June night in the Midwest, when the weather's perfect uh, and you're standing out there on the field and the fans are packed and people are having fun, it's like, wow, I get to do this for a living. How cool is this? Um, so I have some of those moments and I try to soak them in, especially as I get toward the end of my career, like really enjoy this. Uh, then there's other times when it's 120 degrees on the field in St. Louis uh, for a day game and you're just dying out there and, uh, you know, people are yelling at you and you're like, uh, can I get some water or something, please? You know, so, so uh, why did I choose this for a living? Um, but, so you kind of have uh, both of those things, but um, yeah, baseball's been very, very good to me, as uh, <laughs> Garrett Morris used to say. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been a great run and a great ride. I'm, again, I'm trying to appreciate it here as I get toward the end of my career. And when you say towards the end of your career, what does that look like in terms of when you might call it a day? Yeah, I always say, uh, you know. Um, I listen to my bosses. I listen to God and I listen to my wife. Uh, and when they say it's time to retire, it's time to retire. But no, seriously, it's, uh, this is my 28th year, um, coming up to the big leagues, I think. And, um, uh, 1989, when I started this professional journey. So, and I'm looking forward yet yeah, to retiring and just kind of hanging out in Arizona year round and, um, you know, hanging with my grandkids and doing some more travel with my bride, you know, going to Europe and places that I, really don't get to get to in the summer because I'm always working. Um, right. Yeah. I look forward to that. You know, you know what they say, we make plans and God laughs, but uh, <laughs> I know, I know it's not going to be sitting on a rocking chair uh, doing nothing. I'm going to be on the go doing something. So looking forward to that next phase of my life. But again, right now um, I'm enjoying this. Um, you, yeah, I can't see you sitting in a rocking chair, but um, I have seen pictures of you. Um, and I've even seen them, some of them, back when I visited your home in the garage, sitting on a motorcycle. Are you still yeah. um, uh, riding? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I ride with a, a, a group of guys and we just we have fun. It's, you know, 
we take off and we go, uh, we ride out to California. We do rides around Arizona is the greatest state in the world for riding because of all the great roads. And right. yeah, yeah, we have fun. Um, you know, it's good fellowship, it's guy stuff. And um, it's, uh, but, you know, and we all, we are, we're all followers of Jesus too. So it's cool getting together and just having uh, some Bible studies some fellowship, then going off and hitting the road and it's wind therapy, man, for me, I just love getting out on the highway and out of traffic and cruising down the road. Yeah. Um, trying to loosen your load. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you, uh, you pepper the conversation with your faith, which obviously makes so much sense to me because I know that that's the, um, the cornerstone of your life and, and even how you and I met and, um, the, the opportunities that you have, and you have some even structured, uh, with umpires, you, we talked about it before. Do you want to talk about it a little bit more? Or do you want to go on to, um, some of the things you have happening in, in local in Mesa, the men's place? Yeah, well, we, we could talk about both. You know, the, um, the umpire ministry is, uh, something that, uh, you know, is near and dear to my heart. And, uh, we kind of started it from, from scratch. We really didn't know what we were doing. And, but, uh, you know, we, we uh, have a retreat every year. We do Bible studies during the, the season. Um, we do discipleship groups. And yes, another thing is we get anxious to get the season started again, getting back in fellowship with the umpires and hanging out. Um, we do a retreat every year in December uh, out in Texas. Uh, we all come together. And next year is going to be our 20th annual one. Uh, we even got to keep it going during COVID, thank God. So again, now I'm reflecting back on the last 20 years how cool it's been. And also watching these young minor league guys come up, become major league umpires. And now in this phase of my life, um, training them to kind of take over when I'm gone and do it better than I did. And uh, so it's, it's cool to, to watch God raise people up to do that. Um, and uh, just trying to pour into these young men that are getting ready to do this job and, um, and do it well and lead a ministry. So they're, uh, that's what's going on with the, with the umpire ministry. We're anxious can to get that. I, can going I ask how, how many, uh, umpires participate in that? So it depends on, um, you know, what, uh, we're doing the retreat. We've had as many as 60 umpires. And if you think about that, there's 76 major league umpires. There's about 200 minor league umpires. So that's a good percentage of guys that are coming to physically to this retreat. Now the prayer call we get, more guys involved in that. They'll jump on during the season, um, you know, as we do a brief devotional and then we'll pray for needs. And guys will get on there sometimes when they need prayer or uh, sometimes just to listen. And then we've got guys that kind of come and go. Um, and then the discipleship stuff we have, uh, you know, we, we take guys through a, a multiply and then they turn around and have to take another guy through. And then they'll do it in groups sometimes because we have so many people and not enough leaders. And We've had a lot of guys uh, go through there. We've had um, a lot of guys baptized into the ministry. Uh, that's always a celebration to do. But now when they leave professional baseball, um, you know, they they don't come back. We kind of tell them, hey, you've graduated. And they say, you're, you're nicely kicking me out, aren't you? It's like, yeah, we are, because we want them to get plugged into their home church and be a part of their their ministry and what they got going on. So it's really for the guys that are actively involved in professional baseball. I love it. 
I love it. And you were telling me um, that you've been in the middle of a project that's sort of, uh, in some ways, brand new to you um, in a structure that y'all have. Is, is it a home that was already in existence? Are you building a new home in uh, Arizona? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not, a, not a home. It's um... Oh, sorry. No, no, that's okay. I really didn't explain it to you, but it's, uh, it used to be a laundromat. It was a dry cleaner. Um, yeah. And so I was kind of talking to the gentleman that managed the property and I kind of told him about the vision that we had. And he said, Hey, I might have a place for you. Um, but it's really, it's, it's thrashed. He said, I can't rent it. Uh, he said, no, you know, um, I'll give you a break on the rent if you help me out here. So we've gone in, we've gutted it, um, and, uh, just building it back up. And so, as I was sharing with you before, it's, it's been cool for me. Uh, those of us in baseball umpires and players, you know, we kind of everybody's involved in that so much that there's not a lot of extracurricular stuff going on. So for me, it's like been, been able, learning how to use power tools and cutting things and framing and drywalling and, and painting and, uh, you know, um, just uh, carpentry and got people in there. In the tree. Yeah, they're in there helping out. And the great thing, the unexpected thing about doing this is these group of guys that have been helping us uh, build have also kind of become teachers and showing us those that ha don't have skill in that, showing us how to do it. And that's been a cool thing. And then just having fellowship with them and hanging out and going to work. And I remember uh, after a particular hard day, I came home and I told my wife, thank God I can umpire because uh, I can't texture a wall very good. I think... I'd really have trouble finding work. I can move things around and I'm pretty good with a broom and mop. Uh, but, you know, the things that take skill, I don't think I'd be able to find too much work. So. And when you say we, who is the team of who who is uh, taking this on? Yeah, we've got some other umpires involved in it. Um, and we just wanted a place that we call home where guys can come hang out. Um, but it's also cool because there'll, there'll be a lot of spillover when, on, when we're on the road. We can maybe bless other ministries to come in and use it and uh, just setting it up for a place for uh, people to gather and hang out and, uh, you know, enjoy some food and, and uh, do some fellowship and some Bible study. Um, you know, it's one of those things where, and this is going to seem strange for people who don't come from the same economy as you and I, like, uh, you know, God tells you to do something and it sounds crazy. Um, and a lot of people say, well, you know, that's not very smart. You know, people trying to give you wise counsel. Uh, but, you know, I think back on Noah, you know, building this boat, and it's like, what are you doing? It hadn't even ever rained. You know, his neighbors are going, what the heck is this guy doing? Um, but he was listening to God and being faithful. And, um, you know, that's kind of what I feel like I'm doing. It doesn't, uh, you know, may not make a lot of sense, but I think when it's all done and we have people uh, out there enjoying fellowship together, then uh, it'll be, oh, okay, this is why we're supposed to do it. You know, um, I, I, I'll divert just for a second so I can tie this thought in. I was, uh, I had an opportunity to see my uncle um, a couple weeks ago. I uh, wasn't planning on getting a chance to see him, but I was able to get to see him and he is a riot. He um, tells jokes like nobody and I am really a good audience. So we had a great day, um, <laughs> but he, um, because I love to laugh and he loves to make me laugh. But towards the end of it, he was sharing um, uh, about a conversation he had with someone who randomly called like a, like a, uh, I don't know, someone that called, you know, what do they call them? Solicitors that calls 
the house and he got into a conversation with one of them, which is so like him about, um, about God. And um, he said, as we were leaving, he said, you know, it kind of, I don't want to go, um, I don't want to miss an opportunity to tell, to ask someone if they've been told that, um, if, that they're loved today. And when he did that, I went from laughter, you know, like it, laughter, I think laughter and tears sit right next to each other anyway, in our emotional being, they're like next door neighbors, but I just, my face got flush and, um, and I, and like everything stopped and that is really, and then to tell them that Jesus loves them if they don't know that. And, uh, I, I think, and maybe it's cause I'm getting older and I just said that on my podcast. So now I can't retreat from it, but, um, that I also am feeling that not an urgency because it's always kind of been there, but that clarity that mm. if there ever was a time, which I hope I've always seen it as that, but if there ever was a time to, to bridge the gaps that are in, in existence in my life and my circle, so to speak, or, or even with strangers by reaching out and making sure that I ask them that question and share that with them. It's mm. now. And that's what I resonate so much with you over just in your um, mm. hearing from God and, and taking action on it. But do you, are, do you sense what it is I'm saying? I mean, do you yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's, uh, you know, I want people, if they come into this place, uh, I want them, okay, we want to pray for you. How can we do that? We don't want anything from you. We're not selling anything. Um, we're not trying to get you to join some cult. Just want to pray for you. Um, and, uh, you know, God's given us some resources and we just want to bless people with that. Um because a lot of people, they I don't think they've ever been um, prayed for that they know of. You know, someone might be praying for them, but to come into the presence of someone and and just hold hands and let me pray for your needs. Because I believe, as I know you do, uh, God listens and He cares about people. Um, and then you know, the world's so crazy and confusing, and you know, what is people don't understand what God's doing. Um, they don't understand. God's so big. What does he care about me and my problems? But he does. He's a, he's a huge God and he cares about you. And I want people to know that as you do, like you said, and like your uncle said, I love that. Um, he's talking to that person, you know, um, and now maybe the telemarkers will tell other people. And so they won't, don't call that guy. He's crazy, don't call. But I, love, but I love it. I love it. I love it too. And you know, there's, there's, uh, no, I said something on my podcast last week, and I know that I'm speaking to people who might not come from the same perspective or might not have the same appreciation or understanding or even desire to pray. Um, but in particular, I was I wanted to at least address the uh, situation in Ukraine loosely um, yeah. because uh, that's a, a, an awful big topic for someone like me, except for the fact, and this is not an exception, it's actually probably the biggest thing that I could say, is that I felt immediately that prayer, um, and, and I think people say, well, all I can do is pray. Well, I mean, that is the biggest thing I could do. Um, yeah. is to begin praying for um, the situation and Russia as well, not 
not um, just, you know, I mean, there, there's so many concerns all around in that subject, but mm. um, I want to um, just honor you that that is something that resonates um, with you and that you share with those around you because um, at the, at the end of the day, we're all human beings and there's, um, there's that desire to be known and to, and to, to be loved and life does any number of tragic things to us and, and wonderful things, but those two things to know, um, to be known and to hear and understand that we're loved. And that sounds to me, that's kind of what you are bridging and helping to provide in the niche that you're in. And I just am really tickled that that's part of your world and that you're affecting it that way, Ted. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Oh, thank you, Terry. I appreciate that. And I know, um, I know you're all about, uh, building bridges and, and, um, you know, spreading that love. And, uh, that's, that's what we're trying to do. So, um, thank you. Absolutely. Well, you've been super kind to spend time with me. I'm trying to watch the clock because I told you I'd keep it right around 40 minutes. And I want to honor that because I can't believe you agreed to come on when you're in the middle of, you know, waiting for a phone call and everything. But um, is there anything, since we're talking about prayer, is there anything that I can uh, pray for, for you? Yeah, the with the umpire ministry, uh, calling for Christ is the name of it. And we have our, uh, you'll see some of us wearing wristbands on the field. I don't know if you can see that, but it says CFC yeah. calling for Christ. And then it says, Jesus loves umpires. Um, we've got a little cross. I love and a little it. Baseball. Yeah. Very and we cool. always say, if we had more room, it would say Jesus loves umpires because no one else does. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, there's, you know, there's uncertainty right now with guys, especially the minor league guys and, um, and our big league guys that, Okay, are we going to get out and play? Are we going to, but, you know, just trying to give it up to God. Know he's in control. We'll get out there when we're ready to. Um, You know, there's uh, uncertainty with finances and paychecks. And, you know, before COVID, it was like uh, there was death taxes and baseball. So, I mean, um, never thought you'd be without a paycheck because there's always going to be baseball. That's Uh, right. But then all of a sudden there wasn't. So, but just trying to trust God to provide. And I know he will. and, uh, but, you know, for young minor league guys, they're just starting out. That's, uh, uh, and I really feel for them because I've been in that position where, um, you know, they don't get paid a lot in the minor leagues, but uh, what they do get paid, they really need. So, um, but it's a great time too, also for us uh, older guys to um, help out and, and um, you know, be mentors and, um, you know, provide for them. And, and so just praying that the, pray for the ministry specifically, if you could, that we will continue to uh, minister to these guys. And, um, you know, also, I just want to stress that uh, for people out there, especially fans, don't get a hard heart where you think that the players are being greedy or the owners are being greedy. It's a business. It's a process. Uh, The players want to get back out there and play. The owners want to get people in the seats um, and they're going to make it happen. Um, I, when I first came to the big leagues in 1994, they actually tried to play the season without a contract. Things fell apart toward the end. We went on strike first time in history. There was no world series. Um, and then fans took them a while before they came back because they were turned off. And I understand, I get that. Um, 
but just know that uh, there's there's smart people figuring this out and we'll get out there and, and uh, start playing ball again. I know the country needs that. It was a healing thing when COVID hit. Confusion going on now. We've got uh, Russia and Ukraine invading, uh, Russia invading Ukraine. We've got gas prices are going to reach uh, $10 soon. And um, so we want to get out there. And Absolutely. Watching TV and watching baseball and forget about it a little bit. Yeah. And that is you. It's so it's so true that when in COVID, I remember and it was it was after you and I had spoken and you were back, um, you were back at it. And there was a feeling like, OK, everything is everything's kind of OK because we're watching baseball, you know, and that's and that is so cool, Ted, that you're a part of that magic, you know, and I know you've been at it a long time and there's a lot that comes with it. Um, good and maybe challenging, but you are a part of something like nothing else. And uh, what a thrill, what a thrill. And and I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I know you're no. being, I want to share this story just because. Please. Uh, okay. It touches on what you were saying. You know, I realized this in uh, September, you know, September 11th, uh, 2001. Um, you know, you remember where you were, everybody listening remembers where they were. Um, and, um, you know, our season was put on hold for a week. Um, and then we got back out on the field and I remember feeling, what the heck are we doing? Why are we playing baseball? We've got this tragedy that just struck, um, so many people lost their lives. Um, you know, not to sound morbid, but they were still, you know, um, digging out people from underneath the rubble. Um, and, now we're going back to play baseball. I just thought it was very futile. I was just like, let's forget the season. Let's just, but the season started and I saw a, a nation start to heal. Um, you saw people coming together. Um, you know, you saw a world series with the, the Mets and uh, that was the Diamondbacks, right? So in Arizona here, I mean, what a, what a 10 days of world series that everybody kind of forgot about with their problems, what was going on their tragedies, their losses, and it was a healing time. Yeah. And so my attitude changed from what the heck are we doing out here to this was cool. I got to be a part of a healing process of a nation. Yeah. And so um, when COVID hit, I was like, we need to get back out here and start playing baseball. And, um, you know, at this time, we need to get back out there and start playing baseball. And we will. And, um, you know, the world will be OK again. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, and I know that I, I believe that God's in charge of everything, but it's interesting that uh, we're seeing a, a pause in baseball again at a time when things are a little bit weird out there and, and weird wasn't the best word, but you know what I mean? Challenging yeah. and, and pushing our buttons in lots of ways. And it, it, it does kind of feel um synergistic in that it's happening like even the maybe the delay maybe god can use the delay um of the contract being resolved or the or the uh negotiations coming together in an anticipation you know what i mean like holding our breath a little bit till the norm happens till the gift of baseball returns in that same kind of way that it did for COVID, and in the way you've described it 9 11 um, I, I might be making more of it than is needed to, but I like that thought that, uh, that this all is part of something just to give us a gift back and kind of 
distract us a little bit. And I, um, I will send you a periodic text while you're out there and to say, hello, you do not have to send anything back, but I just want you to know that I'll be praying for you and um, for your ministry. And then when we can, we need to hit that hot dog stand that you told me about. You want to touch base just a little bit. I remembered loosely, but you just reminded me this morning, we're going to go share a hot dog and we'll try to put it on video so that it's um, something you can see mustard from ear to ear on me. But um, tell me a little bit about that place before I come greet you down there. Yeah, it was uh, Ted's Hot Dogs down in Tempe, uh, which is a great hot dog. Um, Go, go by and see it. Um, giving him a little plug. Uh, but I grew up in North Tonawana, New York, in the Buffalo area. And there was a Ted's hot dog there. He had three or four of them in the area. And then when uh, he retired, he opened one out in Tempe. And so this was someplace my grandpa took my dad. My dad took me and my brothers. Uh, I've taken my sons and daughter. And now they've taken their grandkids. So five generations, right? Grandpa, dad, me, wow. son grandson yeah five generations of us eating these delicious hot dogs um and uh it's it's a it, so it's a cool place you go in there being a buffalonian a bills fan which uh you know this has been a fun season uh thank you jesus for sending us josh allen that's been so <laughs> your years of futility have turned into playoff football um but uh you know you go in there and there's there's pennants up of buffalo sports teams and there's a buffalo paper there and so Little taste of home for us. Uh, happy to be in Phoenix in, uh, you know, February, March, January, February, March, instead of Buffalo, but still happy to get a little taste of <laughs> That's a, right. a Buffalo hot dog. <laughs> That's right. I remember when In-N-Out moved to Arizona because I'm mm. from California and I've been going there since I was little. I remember my grandmother, my grandmother taking me and my younger brother to In-N-Out and we shared a burger, but um, they looked very different back then, but the, uh, meaning the actual location, um, mm -hmm. the burgers are the same. Uh, and we would sit in this little covered grass area, me and my little brother and eat our cheeseburger and our fries. So when they, uh, when I used to travel back and forth between Arizona and California, I'd stop at the In-N-Out in Indio. And it was like, I couldn't wait to get there <laughs> to get my In-N-Out burger. All yeah. right, I'll confess it was a double-double and it's still is. But um, <laughs> I couldn't wait to get there. And then they moved, they, they, they opened one off the exit to my house out in Australia off of the 10 free. And I was like, this is either the hand of God or, uh, the devil's on my butt, right. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, but I have that kind of feeling, but I can't wait to join you. And it's Ted's in Mesa or Tempe, you said? Tempe, Ted's Tempe. hot dog, yeah. All right, Ted, be we're coming to see you. But you must have felt right. like that, right? When all of a sudden your childhood fave, family passed down process of sharing a meal was actually showing up somewhat near your front door. Yeah, it was great. And, you know, uh, still my dad and... Uh, so when we meet, we'll, we'll bring my dad, we'll bring maybe my son and my grandson, and we'll do a four Dude, generation thing. Cool whatever. Oh my yeah. gosh, that will be awesome. And then I also love the connection between baseball and hot dogs. So that's super cool too. Well, yeah. my friends, don't go anywhere. I'm going to stop the recording and I want to say goodbye to you before we really, really go. But I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And uh, I get choked up uh, when I talk to you uh, and get chill because 
you are a heart person and you've always spoken to mine. And I feel like you've always seen me not to get deep, but I, um, I thank you so much. You're one of my favorite people ever. And I mean that I'm not just blowing smoke. Oh. Um, so we'll have to do something about seeing each other face to face more now that we're um, maybe beyond some of the restrictions and stuff that's been going on in everybody's state. But nonetheless, I love you. And um, I can't wait to do a hot dog with you and give my love to your wife and your family. But I'll say goodbye in a in a formal way here after I just shut us off. But thank you again, Ted. I appreciate it so much. You got it. I love you. Tina loves you. She sends her best. And uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Hang on. Once again, there couldn't be better time spent than hanging with Ted. He is truly one of my favorite people. I wasn't just blowing smoke. If I were to make a list of people that come to mind in my life that I remember names of, etc., he would get that asterisk next to his name that says, this is one of my favorite people for so many reasons. And I can't wait till we get together again. And I also am praying that those negotiations get wrapped up here soon and he can get to work. Thank you, Ted, for spending time on the Terry Summers podcast. And thank you, too, for doing the same. See you next week.